0: This week's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, So as Kyle mentioned, we're in a series called The Habits of Grace, and these are the practices, these are the habits that God has given to us that strengthen us in his grace, that strengthen us in our identity in Christ. We don't do these things to earn favor and to earn grace, rather because God's grace has been lavished on us in Christ, we do these things to be strengthened in them. And one of the things that it can be easy to do, and if you're anything like me, this is so easy to fall into this, is that we sort of view these habits kind of more in personal and private ways. So so our personal and private devotion, so I'm in God's word sort of personally for myself and my own growth, or I'm spending time in prayer so that I can grow, or we talked about fasting, I fast and so I can grow, or I rest from my work, and so I can spend time with the Lord and be refreshed and rejuvenated. And so we think of these things very privately and personally. And maybe in some ways that's how we think about all of sort of growth as a Christian. Like, I I don't sin. Like, I don't get angry, and I don't gossip, and I don't lie, and I don't um, indulge sexually. I don't uh, get drunk and abuse drugs. I don't do these things personally, and so I avoid sin. And so everything can sort of become private and personal in our walk. And here's the thing, those things aren't wrong, those things aren't bad, those things are necessary. We do have personal walks with God. Our personal holiness and disciplines do matter. However, if that's the only way we see these habits, if we think it's all about just us and my walk with Jesus, we have far too small of view. These things are far too small in our mind because these habits are not just about us. We miss that as we drink deeply from the grace of God, as we're transformed by the grace of God, here's what happens. We're compelled to go and tell others about the grace of God. And here's what what else. The more that you go out and sort of share your faith and and live with a sense of mission and purpose, what happens? It throws you back onto the grace of God meaning the more that you live your life with a sense of mission and the more that you put yourself out there to share your faith and take risks, the more you recognize, hey, I need to spend time in the word. I need to spend time in prayer. I need to spend time resting. I need to be cultivating a deeper and deeper relationship with God. And so in many ways, these two things feed off of each other. As we spend time with the Lord, it sends us out. And as we're out, we run back to the Lord for strength, Look, if you want to inject some rocket fuel into your walk with the Lord, if you're feeling stagnant, if you're feeling like, man, my my faith just isn't very strong, here's one thing you can do that will instantaneously inject rocket fuel in your faith. Start sharing the gospel. Start sharing your faith and see if you do not feel your need and your hunger and your desire for the Lord grow in your soul. And so that's why this morning we want to talk about this habit of evangelism and making disciples. Because, look, few things are going to cause us to depend on the Lord and grow in our faith like the habits of sharing our faith and giving ourselves to the work of making disciples. Jeremy Walker, in his book, The Broken-Hearted Evangelist, writes this. How do we keep our prayers fiery? By engaging in hand-to-hand combat with Satan's hosts for those who are yet under his dominion. Why do we keep our spiritual weapons sharp? So that we can fight. How do we learn how to use those weapons? When we engage with lost men. Where are our graces brought to their highest pitch and exercised to their greatest degree? It is often when we are locked in mortal combat for the salvation of a soul. Where where are our minds fired with holy truth so that we begin to understand, to press, and to be in earnest? When are our hearts most ablaze with love for Jesus Christ? When, in short, are we most alive as Christians? With the possible exception of the gathering of the saints for worshiping God, it is when we are involved in the life business of the redeemed men and women of Jesus Christ, engaging with transgressors and seeking their salvation for the glory of God in Jesus Christ. There is little that so elevates us, that so engages the totality of our redeemed humanity as the holy cut and thrust of evangelism. Nothing so casts us upon the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Nothing so reminds us of our need and sends us in desperation to God for increased measures of his Holy Spirit as the reality of wrestling for souls. I think he is onto something here. I think what he says is so true in many ways. And if you have given yourself to the mission of making disciples, you feel this. You recognize this. There is something about living on mission that enlivens us like no other thing can. And look, there's sort of dabbling in dependence upon God. There's sort of playing around with that and doing that in kind of small ways. And then there is really going for it. Like, think of it this way. You can go to one of those indoor rock climbing walls And sort of dabble in rock climbing. You know, you hook yourself up to the harness and you climb up 20 feet and you feel good about yourself. Or you can go and climb a mountain in Colorado where you're not dabbling anymore. It's all in. It's like if I fall from this, I'm dead. I'm not hitting the mat. And so there is ways we can dabble in dependence on the Lord. And there are ways we can be all in. And when we share our faith, it's all in. And that affects us spiritually spiritually when we throw in, when we live in such a way that we absolutely need God's grace and his power. If it's like, God, you've got to move, you've got to work, or this is going to fall flat and this is going to fail, then we know what it means to depend on God. And this is what we experience in the habits of evangelism, a habit of making disciples. And right here in this passage in Matthew 28, Jesus sends his disciples, he gives them this great commission And and in doing so, he speaks of the grace that is available to us, the grace that compels us to go and the grace that strengthens us. And so no matter your station in life, it doesn't matter if you're a pastor or you're a missionary or you're a doctor or you're a lawyer or you're a construction worker, whether you're in finance or the military, you're a teacher or a stay-at-home mom, this grace is available to you. This call is on your life to go and make disciples and experience God's power in your life, to be strengthened, to know intimacy and know what it means to depend upon him. That's what I want us to consider this morning. The, the grace that God gives us, the grace that Christ speaks of in this passage, and then what it means for us to practice this habit of evangelism. So what, are, what is the grace? What, what, what is anchoring this practice and this habit for us? Well, as you see in the first part of Matthew 28, in verses 16 through 18, Jesus speaks of his authority and his power. So what we read here in verses 16 through 18, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshiped him but some doubted. So this imagery right off the bat is thick with meaning because when we see in scripture, anytime God's people had gone up to a mountain and had an encounter that led them to worship, who are they meeting with? God. (laughs) This speaks powerfully to the divinity of Jesus. They recognize this isn't just another dude. This is God in the flesh. There's something different and powerful and majestic about this person, this Jesus. And so they are led to worship. Now don't gloss over this. Look, Jews were conditioned, you don't worship men. You don't worship false idols. You don't worship false gods. And so for them to worship Jesus meant that they had a powerful encounter that completely reoriented and transformed their perspective. They're worshiping Jesus because they recognize who he is. And what Jesus does is he confirms their worship, he receives their worship. And he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority on heaven and on earth, all authority, all power belong to me. And if you've been in church for a while, or maybe you've heard this passage read before, it might be easy to sort of gloss over this. Like, of course, it's Jesus. He's the son of God. Of course, he has all authority in heaven and on earth. But don't miss this. Jesus isn't just making some throwaway statement here. He isn't just stating the obvious He isn't talking about some just sort of abstract reality, pull back the curtain, and hey, I want you to know something about me, that I'm God, and I've been in charge of this thing the whole time. Like, he's not just sort of making this abstract statement. No, he's declaring something that is true and has been played out on the very stage of history. He's making a concrete declaration that his life and his death and his resurrection all declare that he has authority and power. This is something real. This is something tangible. They saw this authority and power play out. This is the culmination of the work that Jesus Christ has accomplished. And so as we rehearse the gospel, it's leading up to this being shown and proven. And so the truth that Jesus Christ himself, God the Son, stepped from heaven and put on humanity. He became a man, fully human. And what did he do? He entered into our sin and our brokenness and our pain and our sickness and our disease He entered into our relational conflicts and our family dysfunctions. He confronted corrupt religious and political leaders. He stared down Satan and his hosts and the forces of spiritual evil, and this is what he did. He cast out demons. He healed the sick. He proclaimed a gospel of the kingdom of gospel of righteousness and forgiveness and peace and love and renewal. He dismantled corrupt religious structures like those who came to him in pride and self-righteousness and wanted to prove themselves to him or trying to challenge them. Guess what? He sent them away disappointed and frustrated. But those who came in humility and brokenness, those who were at the end of themselves and they were done with their guilt and with their shame, he offered them hope. He offered them freedom and forgiveness and life. And in all of that, he perfectly obeyed God, did not sin in thought or word or in action, perfectly pleasing his father, perfectly keeping the law of God. And then for us in our salvation, he lays down his life. He he lays down his life for the sin of his people. All of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our shame, all the judgment that you and I deserve, Christ takes on himself. And what is else? Evil. Evil. In all its power, in all its rage, and in all its might, tries to bring down Christ, tries to destroy him. Jesus takes evil, both human and spiritual, takes its best shots. It gives it everything that it has on Jesus to take him out. And Christ is killed. He dies, really does die. But here's the great news of the gospel: the story doesn't end in death. The Father raises Jesus from the dead in power, evil, for all its mights and all its power, sin for all its corruption, death for all its despair and destruction. Do not win. This is the hope of the gospel. They all lose. They were all defeated as Jesus raises triumphantly. It's victory, victory for Christ. And in this victory, here's what God the Father does. This is what we read in Ephesians 1, 20 and 22. God raises Jesus from the dead and he seats him at the right hand in heaven and he exalts him above every rule and every authority and every power and every dominion and above every name. He puts everything under the feet of Jesus. So this is what God does in Christ's victory. He says, you are above it all. Jesus, you've conquered death. You've conquered sin. You've conquered evil. You are above it all. You reign in authority above it all. And because he has all authority in heaven and on earth, this means that he is far above all governments and rulers. It doesn't matter if this is the US or China or Russia or Iran. Look, the nations may rage, they may plot and they may scheme, they may seek power, but Christ rules in authority over all of them. He puts nations down, but his kingdom endures forever. Jesus stands far above in authority over all evil, both human and spiritual. You know, sin, it rages against God. It it tries to bring corruption and ruin and death, but Jesus defeated sin. He defeated evil and he defeated death. Jesus stands in authority over sickness and disease, over physical disability and mental brokenness through resurrection life your sickness, your disease, your physical disability, your mental brokenness, do not get the final word. You know what the final word is? Healing, resurrection bodies that corruption cannot and will not touch. That is the authority of Jesus put on display in history. It's not an abstract philosophical idea. He did this in history. His power and his authority displayed in the past, active now, and our hope for the future. And look, there's none that can second-guess this. There's none that can stand in authority over his work. There's none that can undo it or declare it insufficient. There's none that can override or undermine. He has defeated all rule and all authority and all power. None can stand against him, and none will stand against him when he returns. This is the authority and the power of Christ that he says, hey, this is what I have, disciples. This is who I am. This is the grace you live in. Now, friends, the authority and the power of Jesus, that the real means something. Means something. And it's not just his authority and power that are given to us. It's, that's not the only grace we live in. We also have his presence. After commissioning his disciples, he says in verse 20, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus didn't give us a mission and drop some power for the journey and then retreat to heaven and say, hey, now, good luck with that. Hope it goes well for you guys. No, he's with his disciples. He's with us. You see, when we give ourselves to the mission of making disciples, and those of you that live this way, you know something very quickly. It's messy. It's hard It's scary, it's difficult, but we're never alone in that work. We're never alone when we go into the world and share that gospel and work to see that others may know Jesus. We're not alone. We're not alone when we take the hits that come from entering into other people's sin and mess and they get angry with us and they misunderstand us and we get lied about and we get slandered. When we want to stand for righteousness, and we end up being, we suffer or we're maligned and we're ridiculed and we're called bigots and we're called backwards and we're called hateful. And, and, and the way people want to reject us and push us into the corner, hey, that can hurt and that can be disorienting. But we're never alone in that. Christ is with us. His very presence is with us. We're not abandoned. We're not alone. And the fact that Jesus is with us and his presence is with us, it gives comfort in our, in our hurt, it brings comfort in our disappointments and, and the discouragement that we can face, and it also brings strength, strength for the work, strength and even confidence for the mission that we live on. Look, here's here's an interesting dynamic, like, and, and for those kids in the room, and maybe you remember, adults, you remember this as a kid, like, there's something confidence-inspiring when somebody that you trust and is more powerful than you is in your presence. Like, hey, kids get confidence when their parents are in the room Or, or an older brother or sister that they know is strong. Or how about this? When armies would go into battle, they took confidence when their king was in their presence. And here's the truth for you and I. Our big brother, Jesus, we have his presence. Our king, Jesus, we have his presence. And so we take confidence in that in our mission. So it's not just that we stand in his authority and his power, but we also have his presence with us. And so we have confidence. It is this goodness, it is these twin graces of Jesus' authority and his presence that we are sent out under and on mission to make disciples. And friends, I hope that leads you to worship like the disciples on the mountain worship. But if you notice in the passage, you notice in the verse, not everybody worshiped. Some doubted, some doubted. And I wonder, are we those who worship, are we those who doubt? I wonder, is Jesus' authority and his power and his presence so true and real to you that you worship or are you doubting are you doubting his power are you doubting his authority are you doubting his presence in your life and look there's many ways to doubt there's many ways to doubt some of you in this room like you your doubt means that that you have no relationship with God at all You put your hope in other things. You put your hope in the power of things like government and political processes. Or you put your hope in the power of your ability to accumulate wealth and financial stability and to carve out comfort in life. Or you put your hope in your own performance whether in work or whether in your marriage or whether in your parenting or just in life in general, if I can perform, if I can do good enough, if I can accomplish enough, there's my hope. Or you're putting your hope in your ability to carve out an identity. Yes, through accomplishments, but also through expressing yourself and living as you choose in order to to have the sense of who you are and feel good about yourself inside and look, in all of these things, whether you are someone who tries to do right by people, whether you're somebody who uses and abuses other people, here's the common denominator. You do this independent of God. You're doing this independent of God, and so that is doubt. There's no trust in him. There's no regard for him. There's no submitting to his authority. It's not only doubt, it's rebellion. It's functionally saying, I am God. I get to define what is good and evil. I get to define meaning and purpose for myself. Friends, doubt leads you down a path of destruction and despair. Doubt leads you down a path of judgment. Now I'm not talking about at times being weak in faith and wondering what God is up to and sometimes because we're weak and we don't understand. I'm talking about a doubt that turns its back on God. A doubt that doesn't run to God, but decides it is going to be, it is going to work independently of God. Is that you this morning? Is that where you're living? For those of you who profess faith in Christ, look, we do the same thing. This isn't just one or the other. We can still doubt Christ's authority and power. We can still doubt his presence in our lives. We can put our faith and our hope in things that are merely human, I mean, Christians in politics Oh, not a problem there, right? Christians and money, not a problem there, right? Christians and trying to perform? Oh, we never have that problem. No. Too often, we put our hope. In the power of our own performance, in our own ability, in our own intelligence, in our own uh, ability to control circumstances, in our own building a sense of identity through our accomplishment and through self-expression and living how we choose. And in all of that, what happens? Little regard for God. Little trust in him. Little submission to him. Little living in the goodness of his authority. And look, what is the result of that? Let's be honest. Is living that way making you more faith filled, hope filled, joy filled? Is it filling your heart with worship of Jesus and more dependence upon Him? No. If we were honest, I bet we would say this that we're more experiencing things like anger and cynicism and worry and anxiety and fear and self protection. And then here's what happens in all of that, We pull back from living on mission because we have such a small view of God's grace. We pull back and we don't give our lives to seeing that other people may know Jesus and find their joy in him. What happens is our world shrinks to the size of self rather than living in the glorious expanse of a life lived on mission with God. And so friends, doubt leads to shrinking our world's. Who leads to a self-reliance, and there's no life in that. Jesus has something far greater for us. Jesus holds out for his disciples then and for us today something greater. And so if you find yourself in a place of doubt this morning, if you're wrestling with doubt in Christ's authority and his power and his presence, can I invite you, can I encourage you to once again drink deeply of the grace of God? Drink deeply of what Christ has done for you and just consider this. Like like those of you who are in Christ this morning, just just reflect for a moment uh, of how God's grace has been at work in your life. Like we can just start with this you've been sinned against, right? You, You know the pain of being degraded and demeaned by others, of being maligned and lied about, of cheated and ripped off and hurt. For, for to have your trust broken, to, to have people maybe use you and abuse you physically or sexually or emotionally or spiritually. Like you know what it is to carry deep, deep wounds and scars and pains in your soul. Is that not true of our existence? Is that true of our reality? But then, even deeper than that, it's not just that we're sinned against, we're also sinners. Like, we've been guilty of the same thing. We have demeaned and degraded others. We we have maligned and lied about and used other people. We have cheated and ripped other people off. We, We have been those that have used and abused people physically and spiritually and sexually and emotionally. We're guilty. We're not those who walk in faith and love God and are full of humility and righteousness and service. No, we have been corrupt and prideful and selfish and arrogant and angry and sexually indulgent and we've been hypocritical and we've been doubters. This is who we've been. And you look at all of that, shameful, sinful, and we deserve Judgment because we have wrecked God's good creation. We have rebelled against God and we have hurt others. Like our judgment is just, it's gross. And the reason most of us don't want to look at that is because it's hard to look at. It would crush us if we're honest. And so in that moment, we, we, we take stock of who we are. But here is the message of the gospel, friends. Here is what we need to drink deeply of. In spite of all that, yes, because you, you are that, God came after you. It wasn't because you cleaned yourself up. It wasn't because you performed for him. It wasn't because you did enough good. And he's like, okay, you're good enough. Now let me come get you. No, while we were still sinners, while we were dead in our trespasses, when we were in rebellion against God, when we were hated and being hated by others, God came after us. His grace his mercy, his spirit, his power, his gospel tore through every sin and every lie and every rebellion. It reached into the darkest pit of our sin and rescued us. God sends Jesus because he loves sinners. Jesus comes willingly because he loves sinners and he wants to glorify his father and accomplish this great plan of redemption. Look, God exercised his authority and his power for you Jesus set aside his authority and his power and died for you. Oh, here is the good news of the gospel. We have victory. Victory for Christ means victory for those in Christ. You aren't defined by your sin. You aren't defined by how others have mistreated you and used you. You're not defined by how you've been sinned against or how you have sinned. No, you are now, if you are in Christ, you are now a beloved son or daughter of God. You are a co-heir with Christ with an eternal inheritance that is incorruptible and imperishable. God is your father and he loves you. He looks on you with favor. He has poured out his spirit on you. This is the gospel. This is who we are. And there is no person that God cannot rescue and redeem. It didn't matter what kind of person we were or how we've been hurt and sinned against. The authority and the power of Jesus Christ means that God saves. And look, his power is at work, even in your ongoing pain, even in your ongoing brokenness, even with your ongoing wrestling with sin and the struggles you have to grow. Christ's authority and his presence mean, this is true, he who began a good work in you will complete it. This is who we are, church. This is who you are if you are in Christ. And so if you are doubting this morning, Drink deeply of this grace. Remember God's grace in your life and take hold of his promises for right now. Drink deeply of this grace. Don't lose sight of it. Don't don't let the voices in your head and in your heart and the voices out in the world drown out that grace. Run to Christ, run to that fountain and drink deeply and be refreshed and be, be made new and be brought alive for those of you who are in Christ, he hasn't left you. He hasn't abandoned you. His presence is still with you and he is at work. Run to him. For those of you who do not profess faith in Jesus, for those of you who do not know God, look, this salvation, this grace is offered to you. God loves sinners and he holds out his son and says, believe in my son. Turn from your sin Turn turn from your selfish pursuit of an identity. Turn from trying to define your own sense of right and wrong and your own sense of meaning and purpose. Stop finding hope in money and in performance and turn to Christ and know what it means to be forgiven and set free. Know what it means to experience real joy and peace and love. The gospel is held out for you. The gospel can save you. Jesus can save you no matter who you've been, no matter where you've been, even right now in this room. If you're thinking, you don't know what I'm currently caught up in, you're right, I don't. But I know the grace of God is greater than any sin, and he can save you today. He can transform you today, change your history today. This is the God we serve. This is the gospel that has been proclaimed in this world. This is what Jesus accomplished It's in light of this, church, that we live on mission. If Christ has all authority, if his power has accomplished this great redemption, and nothing can stop this, then why would we not give our lives to this? Why would we not give our lives to seeing others experience this grace? And it doesn't matter whether you're a pastor or a missionary or a doctor or a lawyer or in the military or in finance or a teacher or a construction worker or a stay-at-home mom. He calls you to go and make disciples. Go and share my grace, the grace that you have experienced. Go and share that grace. The power you have experienced, go and proclaim that power. The salvation that you have experienced, go and tell others about that so they can experience it themselves friends, he offers hearts set free and hearts enlargent by grace that would then compel us to go and live for the cause of the kingdom. And so we go, therefore, Jesus sends his disciples, verses 19 and 20, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And here's where I want to sort of land the plane here this morning by saying this. We've talked about evangelism, we talk about mission quite a bit at First City. This is core to who we are. And I've preached many messages on evangelism and different ways of doing this and different tactics. And so I want to take a little bit different angle this morning and say, hey, thinking about the habits of grace through the lens of evangelism and making disciples means this, that they're not a separate thing. It's not, here we have our habits of grace, here we have our evangelism, and they're disconnected. No, these very habits are connected to evangelism. So I want to encourage you to see them through the lens of making disciples. Practice them not just for yourself, but for other people. And so when you read the word, yes, be in the word for yourself to be strengthened and shaped yourself, but also read the word for other people. Read it to share Christ. So you, well, notice what Jesus says, Teach them to observe all that I have commanded. How do we teach other people? We need to know the word. And so we learn this word and we pray, Lord, help me to know how I can teach this to other people. So read it for others. And here's what also is beautiful. As you get in the word with a mind to teach others and share the gospel with others, here's what you come to find out. You need it. Because there's no other message, there's no other power that can save people. And the more that you wrestle for the souls of people, the more that you get in it and try to share the gospel, the more it drives you back to God's word and makes you more dependent upon it. And that's beautiful. Give yourself to this habit of grace so that others may know Jesus. When you pray, yes, pray so that you may know Christ and be intimate with Christ. That that, that you cry out that God would work in your life, but also pray for others. You want to pray that you may understand the height and the depth and the length and the width of Christ's love to you, but pray that others would know that and experience that. And here's the beauty. As you wrestle with others, as you contend to see that they know Christ, and you recognize that there's nothing you can do or say to get them to believe, it drives you back to prayer. It drives you back to dependence upon God. And so give yourself to the habit of prayer that others may know Jesus. say the same thing about fasting. After after preaching a sermon on fasting, several people sent me a a, a passage from Isaiah where God calls the, the people of Israel to fast on behalf of the poor. And I was like, that's a great passage, and I'm sorry I didn't make it in my sermon, but the point is this, that we fast not just for our own sakes, but for the sake of others, so that God would work on behalf of others. The disciples went out, and they were contending against some people who were possessed by demons, and for some reason they wouldn't come out. And Jesus said, hey, this only comes out by prayer and fasting. So there are some spiritual battles that we wage to see other people come to know Christ and to be set free from sin that we need to fast for and we need to be praying for. So let's give ourselves to the habit of grace that others may know Christ. When we celebrate, yeah, let's celebrate together to encourage the body, encourage one another. But let us celebrate in in front of other people that they know the power of God in our own life. That they would know that God's work and the way he is transforming us and the the victories that we're experiencing. Do you share that with your friends who don't know Christ? Do, Do you share with them the way God has brought victory in your life? Or do you sort of keep that close to the vest? Oh, let's celebrate in front of people. Let's, let's let them see that Jesus is worth being excited about. And as we celebrate, we're more in tune with what God is doing in us and among us. And that drives us into more dependence upon God. And so practice the habit of celebration that others may know Jesus. Oh, when you rest, yeah, you need to rest for the care of your own soul. But when we rest, we communicate something loud and clear to our culture, My identity isn't found in what I do. My identity isn't found in what I can accomplish. My hope isn't in my power and my wealth and my achievement, but in Jesus. And look, when you and I rest while the rest of the world is toiling, what happens? Our dependence on God grows, and it is a powerful testimony. As this world tires itself out trying to build kingdoms that will not last, we rest and are at peace in a kingdom that will never vanish that is practicing the habit that others may know Jesus. The same with community. Like We need community, right? We need to love and be loved. We need to serve and be served. We need to disciple others and be discipled by others. But your friends that don't know Christ need community as well. They need to see a group of Christians loving each other, forgiving each other, serving one another, They need to be brought into a community that demonstrates the power of the gospel. Unity in the midst of difference. Unity in the midst of conflict. Unity around Jesus. And so let's practice the habit of community that others may know Jesus. And then last week we talked about generosity. Yeah, we give so we can care for one another. We give so the church can care for one another. But why else do we give? We give so that the kingdom may go forward. That Others may know the power of Christ in their life, that others may be loved and cared for, and that we may be equipped to share the gospel. And so, as you give, give so that others may know Jesus. So, friends, in light of the gospel, in light of the grace that we have, in light of the power of God that is at work in our lives, in light of the fact that the presence of Christ is with us, let's give ourselves to these habits. Not just so that we find joy in Jesus, but that others may find joy in Jesus. The the lavish grace of God poured out in abundance is on us, and let's let it spill out onto our city. These habits are about so much more than just the private and the personal. They're given by grace that the power of God working through us may result in what? That passage that Kyle read this morning, that the nations may know Christ. God blesses you. He pours out his grace upon you, his grace upon us, so that the nations may know Christ. And so let us not doubt. Let's trust fully in Christ's authority and his power and his presence. Let's let's drink deeply of his grace and let's keep drinking. And then as we drink of that, as we depend upon Christ, let's go into this world and give our lives to see that others may find their life in Jesus. Amen.